Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely. Amazing. I do have a uh, a uh, Tarua uh, shofar uh, here in the house. Uh, in fact, really a, a beautiful one. And Leia plays the the shofar. She can blast the shofar far better than uh, than the sound we just uh, had there. So I have a wife of uh, of many skills. Many uh, skills. Uh, last week I said that uh, that having looked up Tarua uh, that because there's only three-tenths of one percent of renewing light on the moon's surface tonight. That that wouldn't normally qualify uh, um, on the standard I use. That I normally like to see a uh, at least one percent renewing light on the moon's surface uh, to calibrate the first day of a month, and Tarua is the first day of a month. Uh, in this particular case, because it happens to be a uh, one of our Shabbat Torah study shows, uh, I've decided that I'm going to uh, pull a Hezekiah. It worked uh, fine with him. And we're going <laughs> to celebrate it t- two nights in a row. Um, so t- tonight we had a wonderful Teruah dinner. We did blast the uh, the shofar. We told tall tales of uh, of having done Teruah now for uh, 22 years. So I began this outreach 22 years ago on this day. Uh, and we'll have 10 years uh, left uh, to do so, and you know we're we will on this program we're going to talk about the timing of the Teruah harvest, uh, what time we think it is, and also just talk about how Yahweh Himself presents Teruah. If you're listening to us in uh, in Jerusalem and Yisrael, uh, you're probably saying Teruah. What in the world is a Teruah? And that's because I. Uh, Judaism uh, has no interest in Teruah. 
the uh, the religion uh, has taken great liberties with uh, Yahweh's schedule. Like for example, matzah is uh, the single most important mikre, which Yahweh assigns every adjective uh, known to God to uh, uh, matzah, and Jews just flat out ignore it. Um, matzah simply becomes an ingredient that's part of a seven-day celebration of Passover, when Passover is actually one day, according to Yahweh, and Passover is part of Chak Matzah, and Chak Matzah is seven days that includes Bukurim. But when it comes to Teruah, uh, Jews have just flat out ignored it. If, uh, if you read um, uh, Israeli newspapers, if you watch Israeli news, which we do, they're all talking about the first of the High Holy Days and celebrating the Jewish New Year. They're supposed to be in the range of 20,000 religious Jews at the Western Wall bobbing up and down saying their prayers um, because it is the Jewish New Year. No, it's not. Well, it is only if you want to be a Jew estranged from Yahweh. But if you want to know God, uh, Teruah is, um, well, it's a Mikrae. There's only seven of those, so that makes it quite special. It, uh, um, no question about it that uh, Yahweh declared that Teruah, uh, which means to herald the message, is one of the seven Mikrae. Uh, it is also presented as a Shabbaton. And as a Shabbaton, we celebrate Teruah as if it is a Shabbat, even if it doesn't fall on a normal Shabbat. Now, we're going to celebrate it twice. We're playing the, the uh, Hezekiah. It was good enough for Hezekiah. It's going to be good enough for us. Um, and so we're going to celebrate it this evening, already have, as part of a, um, uh, a natural Shabbat. So this is a double. Uh, and we're celebrating it to, tomorrow as part of a Shabbaton, which means to um, to celebrate all things uh, Shabbat-oriented. Um, for those also listening in Yisrael um, that uh, are confused, thinking, well, if it's a Shabbat, you can't do nothing. You know, it's a, it's a rule. Well, no, Shabbat okay. is actually a verb. And yeah. Shabbat uh, is an actionable verb. And uh, mm-hmm. the thing to do on Shabbat is to celebrate one's relationship with Yahweh. And particularly, when you have a Shabbaton, you want to celebrate your relationship pursuant to the particular uh, Mikre. Um, in addition to Teruah being a, a Mikre and a Shabbaton, it is also a Zacharon. It uh, means all things pertaining to remembering. <laughs> and yet, yep. Jews have forgotten it to the extent... <laughs> They prefer to celebrate the Babylonian head of the year, and that's what, uh, what uh, Rosh Hashanah means. It's uh, head of the year, and it's the Babylonian New Year. So Teruah plays no role whatsoever in uh, the Jewish religious calendar. It has been replaced by the Babylonian New Year, now called Rosh Hashanah. Uh, this Practice is similar to Christianity's blatant replacement of Passover, unyeasted bread, and firstborn children 
with the Babylonian religious observance of Easter. Now, when you're copying Christians, which is the most anti-Semitic religion ever conceived, and you're no better than they are, then you really have a problem. This is a serious blight on rabbis and Judaism uh, to not be able to figure this out. It's one of the many examples where the precepts of, of the religious remain in conflict with the revelations upon which they claimed to uh, have based them. This is one of many reasons a person must either be irrational or be completely ignorant to believe either Judaism or Christianity. Prophetically, it is important to recognize that the Mikra of Teruah, Yom Teruah, is a day set apart to shout for joy and to signal a warning. It is a day of heralding God's message. Uh, it is followed by the second chance, Yom Kippurim, the last opportunity to reconcile one's relationship with Yahweh. It is the seventh opportunity that Yahweh has provided throughout the past 6,000 years to reconcile one's relationship with him. There will not be an eighth. And so the Torah, to a very large extent, exists to um, announce the approach of Yom Kippurim. And the final Yom Kippurim, this ultimate second chance, although it's really the seventh for God's people, will be celebrated um, on October 2nd at sundown, 6.22 p.m. in Jerusalem. Uh, and the climax of this great event will be the return of Yahweh, which is God's one and only name, and his beloved firstborn son, the Messiah, and our Savior, Dode, um, whose name has been corrupted to David. Dode means beloved. So the good news is that five days after this invitation to be called out and meet of, of Yom Kippurim, we'll be celebrating Sukkah, which uh, we get to camp out with God, where God's going to reestablish Eden on earth, ushering in the millennial Shabbat by camping out with mankind for 1,000 years. So here's the uh, statement that uh, Yahweh made to introduce um, the Mikra of uh, Teruah. It reads as follows. Yahweh spoke to Moshe to say, Speak to the children of Yisrael, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of this time of renewal, there exists on your behalf a Shabbaton, an empowering and enriching expression of everything associated with the promise of seven. A Zikarot, the commemoration of an inheritance rite, which is important to recall and remember. Teruah, a set-apart invitation to be called out and meet a Mikra. Well, that's pretty straightforward. So how could one claim to be Torah observant if you're going to ignore all of that? And understand, in rabbinical Judaism, Yom Teruah doesn't exist. 
it has been replaced by a Babylonian holiday. So how is it possible to be Torah observant and ignore Teruah and replace it with a Babylonian religious holiday unless the very core, the very essence of Judaism is a lie? I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> Don't have any. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, let's let's just state that again because it happens to be Yahweh speaking again uh, for uh, for Jews. Yahweh just happens to be God's name. Uh, he only has one name. How he wants to be referred to forever. He tells us his name in his Torah, prophets, and Psalms seven thousand times. He never once says. Never once says, "Call me Hashem." Never once. Right. No. And he says that to negate the importance of my name is an unforgivable sin. That happens to be the third statement he etched in stone, if you'd like to look it up. So it's one of the many great blights on the religion of Judaism, but also Christianity and Islam, is they do not know, they do not use, they do not proclaim they do not care about, they have done everything they can to negate the value of Yahweh's great name. And if you do not know, if you do not acknowledge, if you do not love Yahweh's name, you do not know him and you have no relationship with him, which means there is no opportunity whatsoever for your soul to spend eternity with him. Mm-hmm. Yahweh spoke to Moshe. Moshe means to draw out. It means to draw out of the world uh, as it exists. The world's great influences uh, in terms of pervasiveness, not in terms of value, are religion followed by politics. And in our world today, that would be followed by either militarism or conspiracy. Moshe's name means to draw one away from and out of those things. So Yahweh spoke the bar to uh, Moshe to say, Debar, communicate to Bene, the sons or children of Yisrael. Yisrael can have uh, one of two meanings. Um, it is based on three Hebrew words, Ish, which means individual, Sarah, which is the name of the um, wife of Abraham, the probably most interesting woman in God's story. Um, Her name means to engage and endure, uh, or on the negative side, to wrestle with and struggle with, uh, but also to be liberated by and to be um, empowered by, and El, God. So speak to the sons and children of Yisrael to say, in the seventh month, so, yeah, it was very clear that the first month of the year, therefore New Year's Day for him, is Abib 1. Mm-hmm. It is not 7-1. This is the seventh month of the year for those who are numerically challenged, as must be the case <laughs> with religious Jews. But then again, uh, religious Jews have no clue that we happen to be living in your uh, five nine nine zero. Yeah, 
only 10 years remaining until Yah returns. And all one has to do to ascertain that is to look at the genealogies that Yahweh has provided and also to look at what Gabriel, which is God's most courageous and capable man, that would be Dode, revealed to Daniel in terms of the exact day that he would enter Jerusalem uh, to fulfill uh, Pesach, Matzah, and Bekorim um, as the Messiah. And he gave us uh, that day, which was he would enter Jerusalem four days before Passover when the Lamb would come into the home in what we would now call 33 CE, which was year 4000, Yod, the 80th Yobel. Uh, so the first month of the year is, uh, is the, the month that we celebrate, Pesach, Matzah, and Bakorim. That is Abib. Um, it happens to uh, be designated by the fact that barley, which is one of the first grains to, uh, to rise and to bud, uh, the barley grain is Abib, meaning that it is green and growing, still receptive um, uh, on the, uh, the stalk. Uh, and it's the new moon uh, closest to the time that, that barley is in that condition. It's also the time that flax would uh, flower. Um, this is given to us as information during the Exodus when Yahweh explained the timing of it. But Abib 1, it's the first day of the year. So I can assure you that the seventh month, which would be the seventh renewing moon after Abib 1st, cannot be New Year's Day. So speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, which is this month, a month is Kodesh, it means uh, to renew, to reaffirm, um, uh, particularly regarding a promise. On the first, Ichad, of this time of renewal, which is Laha Kodesh again, uh, this would mean either month, but it is uh, Kadesh, Kadash, uh, in Hebrew means to renew, to restore. There exists, <coughs> there exists is from Haya. There was, there is, and there will be. It was written in the call perfect, imperfect. Therefore, uh, it, this is something that will continue. It doesn't have a finite uh, time stamp on it, but an internal time stamp. On behalf of, or excuse me, on your behalf, and a Shabbaton, an empowering and enriching expression of everything associated with the promise of seven. It's a special set-apart day to celebrate and reflect on the meaning of the Shabbat. Then he says, it's not just a Shabbaton. This day is important. It's a Zikaron, a commemoration of an inheritance, inheritance rights, and an exceedingly important event to recall mm -hmm. and remember. Um, it's from Zakar, uh, which means to be mindful of, to memorialize something, to remember it, to, to uh, take that statement to, uh, to heart. And it is called Teruah. Teruah's primary meaning comes from Ruah, uh, which is to uh, announce a, a message, um, to acclaim something with words to express uh, information to get one's attention. I would call it heralding the message. It is a set-apart mikra, invitation to be called out and meet, uh, obviously with Yahweh. Uh, mikra is based upon uh, kara, 
the compound of ma to question the implications of kara, which means to call out, to read, to recite, to welcome, uh, to invite, to summon, to proclaim, to encounter, to, uh, to meet. I certainly don't have any question about any of that. Kirk, did you study any one of these words in particular? Um, I mean, they're all pretty well straightforward. They really are. Even the symbols are, are so obvious, even with the root. I remember you, a few minutes ago you were talking about, uh, uh, what was it, um, Chapitone? Or, uh, if you have a root that is shen bet, means press towards the house or to go towards the house or go to the home, a return home would be a good definition in the context of where, where we are now. Um, they're pretty easy. You just can't you can't mess these things up. So yeah, I've checked all your words. I have no argument. I don't, I don't like to see somebody come up and change it. Yeah, I don't do think it. you you can. This is. I mean, there are there are passages which uh, are potentially controversial because the words have either dark and light sides, or there's many potential uh, interpretations of the words. In this particular case. There isn't a single word that would have any degree of, uh, of uh, flexibility in terms of its definition. These are very, very straightforward concepts. Uh, every word right. in this, with the exception of Teruah, which is the title of the day, uh, and not Rosh Hashanah, uh, is a very, very common word in the, the Hebrew language. So, you know, Dabar, mm-hmm. speak. Beni, uh, sons uh, or children. Yisrael, of course, is you know, thousands of times. Uh, La Amar to say, you know, thousands of times. Ba, uh, uh, Ha Kodesh, uh, Ba Shabai. Uh, seven is a common word. Kadash, uh, serving is both month or time of renewal. Very common word. Uh, on the first, ichad, exceedingly common. Haya is probably the most common verb throughout the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. Uh, means there exists, there is. Uh, la atem is on your behalf. It's the plural of you. So it's on all of your behalf. Um, and we talked about Shabbaton. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. knows it's about Shabbat. Uh, it has the suffix on when you see a suffix mm-hmm. on with the word it means that it's all things pertaining uh, to that mm-hmm. word. Zakar is a very common Hebrew word. It's uh, used both as a noun and as a verb. As a noun, it speaks of a, uh, of a young man. And as a verb, it speaks of uh, remembering, uh, memorializing. Um, so uh, Teruah is the, uh, is the next word. Kodesh is the third uh, of four um, uh, definitions of what it represents. Uh, it is part of its acclaim. Uh, something that is set apart, Kodesh, is important to Yahweh. Everything that's important to Yahweh is Kodesh. Teruah is Kodesh. It's important to Yahweh, even if it is not important to Judaism. And then, of course, it is a, a mikra, uh, an exceedingly common title based upon one of the most popular verbs uh, in the Hebrew language, kara. Mm-hmm. So yeah. far fewer than one in a million people understand the purpose or the importance of teruah, which is inexcusable since God pulled out all the stops in defining it. I think there's only one um, mikra 
that gets this many adjectives. You know, Kodesh, Zacharon, uh, um, uh, Shabbaton, uh, Mikra, uh, and and that is uh, Matzah, uh, which is of course the other one that, that Judaism chooses to ignore. <laughs> ignore. Matzah is, is also yeah. called yeah esteem, which means it is essential. Uh, on top of uh, of all of these others. Um, Shabbat 7 is Yahweh's favorite number because it's the sum of his design equations, six representing humankind, uh, conceived on the sixth day in addition to God who is one, represents God's idea of the perfect result. He is trying to encourage us to join with him by six plus one equals seven. The root uh, Shabbat means to avow and a uh, sworn testimony to promise. Vocalized differently, the same consonants convey to be overwhelmingly satisfied. Shabbat is also the basis of Shabbat, the day we are encouraged to celebrate our relationship with God, contemplating what he has done along with his sons to fulfill uh, his promises. Now, this is the reason that Yahweh introduced seven mikre. There are six steps which we are invited to follow uh, to meet with God, all of which lead to the seventh, the place where we are granted the opportunity to camp out with Yahweh on Sukkah. Um, been over this, but bears repeating. Kodesh means to renew, to restore, to repair, to reaffirm. It's used to introduce a new month when Reflected light on the moon's surface is renewed, and it begins to grow as part of the symbolism of it. And as such, Kadesh represents the purpose of the Mikre, which is to grow, to be renewed, to be restored. It's also possible that Kodesh is related to uh, Kodesh, pronounced the same way, but CH as opposed to the Q uh, in Kodesh, the Hebrew word meaning to set apart uh, as special. Kodesh is used to describe Yahweh's spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, which is the set-apart spirit. With Teruah celebrated on the first day of the seventh month, with, and with Yahweh's calendar, as we mentioned, commencing in Abib, the month of Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, it is observed within two weeks of mid-September. It is, therefore, the first of three fall feasts. Atem, as I have shared, is the plural form of you, which can be represented by Yaal, if you're in the south. It tells us that the Mikre are for Yaal of us, uh, reconciling our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, we are oh, yeah, yeah, celebrate our relationship by living with Him. Um, <laughs> By uh, using Haya in this statement, particularly when it uh, was written in the imperfect, God reminds us that Teruah was observed in the past. It is being fulfilled in the present and will be celebrated in the future. Um, Teruah is our life. I was called to this mission on Teruah, and I have celebrated Teruah every day for the past 22 years. Uh, it means to herald a message, and that is our mission. Written in the call imperfect, 
the mikra genuinely exists as part of the relationship with ongoing implications over time. Now, there are five Shabbaton described in the mm-hmm. Torah in relationship to the mikra, in addition to the special Shabbat celebration in concert with Chag Matzah. Chag Matzah is actually not a Shabbaton, but it is delineated as a special Shabbat. So this is the second day designated as a Shabbaton, with the first appearing um, in the preamble to the Mikre, Kara Leviticus 23.3. The third occurs on Yom Kippurim and is presented in the 32nd statement. Then in the 39th statement, Kara called out Leviticus 23. We discovered that the first and last days of the Mikra of Sukkah are always celebrated as a Shabbat, regardless of the day of the week on which they fall. Now, based upon their positioning and depiction, the seven Moed Mikra are the most important days of the year. They are designated... uh, or I should say specifically by designating three as Shabbaton, God is revealing that the autumn feasts should garner our undivided attention. Celebrated on the first, tenth, and fifteenth days of the seventh month, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah are nearly as inseparable as Pesach, Matzah, and Pekorim. It is, of course, interesting that in their high holy days, uh, Kippurim becomes the most important day on the Jewish calendar, uh, and everything about the Jewish religious celebration of Kippurim is backwards and upside down. They turn it into uh, to a day of mourning, to a day of affliction, a day to twirl uh, defenseless chickens over one's head. Uh, it's a day of, uh, of depriving oneself when, from Yahweh's point of view, it, it is a day... Mm-hmm. To celebrate one's reunion with Yahweh is the last chance to reconcile one's relationship. It's the plural of reconcile, which means it's the day of reconciliations. Now, as we discovered, Yahweh set the entire presentation of his provisions for eternal life, for the removal of, uh, of um, our guilt, for adoption into his covenant family, uh, into the context of Shabbat. Then he established the day of our enrichment and empowerment, seven sevens from Bukhodim, uh calling it Shabuah, the promise of the Shabbat. And now with Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah, they're all a Shabbaton. Uh, it's interesting in terms of, uh, of religious Jews turning the Shabbat into the most cumbersome day of the week when there are uh, yes. thousands of rules that they are contorted into following, uh, that uh, Dode, when his nefesh fulfilled matzah, which was the single greatest ordeal work uh, ever perpetrated by humankind. I mean, yes. no, no one has ever done more for more than Dode accomplished on matzah, and it was a Shabbat a natural Shabbat in the um, 80th uh, Yobel uh, year uh, when uh, Dode celebrated in, in year uh, 4,000 Yah. So this notion that you are to do nothing on the Shabbat is inconsistent 
with uh, father and son, with uh, the Messiah Dode, whom Yahweh called right. So seven Moed, based upon Yahweh's Shabbat instructions, are fulfilled over 7,000 years. Expelled from Eden just shy of 6,000 years ago, we are on the precipice of our return. Camping out in the garden through year 7,000 Yah. Collectively, the Moed lead us away from religion and to the relationship as uh, Yahweh intended it. Shared each of these uh, words. So I, I just like to to reemphasize the uh, the fact that Teruah itself is a uh, is the one word in this that uh, isn't tremendously common. I don't know if it's mentioned in the range of maybe a hundred times, but compared to all of the other words in this statement, uh, it's the one that is the most unique. Um, yeah. And if you're among those who may think that my voice is too shrill and you know i'm i'm an impassioned individual uh, it uh, in this regard i'd be very similar to the enthusiasm to the mission that was shown by moshe that was shown by uh, dode that was shown by the prophets um you know uh, religious jews will set a place for elia at the pesach table and i want to tell you when it, can, when it comes to Shrill voices, that dude had one. Uh, he was always sarcastic and copped an attitude. Uh, and Yahweh loved uh, Elia's approach so much, he's bringing him back as one of the, uh, the two witnesses. So, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that uh, we are here to get Israel's attention, and therefore we... Uh, are going to continue to raise our voice because Teruah encourages us to make a racket as we shout out a warning and sing for joy. With Ruah, we're being encouraged to announce what is going to occur with meaningful words, clamoring to get people's attention. Uh, I would argue for those that think that uh, we may be too verbose that based upon Ruah, God is uh, of a different uh, opinion. Well, um, I'm not one of them. Uh, his prophets, Yahweh's prophets, were anything but meek. While Ruah defines the meaning of Teruah, there are some similar words which may shape our understanding. Uh, among them is Tara, which means gate or doorway, even gatekeeper. It is used to describe the temple doorkeeper. Uh, this could mean that Teruah's message, properly conveyed, could help illuminate the path which leads to and then opens heaven's door. Tarupah speaks of healing, something accomplished when our relationship with God is reconciled. Torin represents an upright pole unto which a standard or a sign, a flag that draws our attention and can be read and interpreted is flown. Now, that's relevant because Yahweh refers to his message for his people as a nesh, signal and banner, which he intends to raise. Tabuah describes the yield of a harvest, especially grain. Now, this is potentially relevant because um, this is the third and final harvest uh, in uh, Yahweh's uh, three harvests 
that permeate his seven Moed Mikre. Uh, tabuna is understanding, insight, and wisdom achieved through logic and reasoning. That's my favorite definition of the purpose of this day is to help supply those things so that people, particularly Israelites, can think their way to God, which is how he prefers it. It advances our understanding of Teruah as a Shabbaton, especially as a Zikaron. Because it's really hard to remember something that you've never heard. Mm-hmm. The invitation to be called out in meat of uh, trumpets is clearly designated to call God's people home. That's the purpose of the family reunion we call Yom Kippurim. We observe this day by encouraging Israelites and Yehudim to closely examine and carefully consider Yahweh's message, scrutinizing it logically, rationally, considering every step along the way as if life itself depended upon each of them. And it does. Finally, uh, tarumah means gift, and there is no greater present than receiving the benefits of the mikre um, and the bereth. Yahweh is putting us on notice that we have been given the opportunity to Teruah to shout out a warning and to sing for joy, conveying his message to those who need it the most. It is the next to last step in the exceedingly unpopular path which leads to reconciliation of his people. Symbolically, the approach of Teruah was to be announced by the blast of a ram's horn, the shofar. This trumpet was designed to signal an alarm, to announce something important, to proclaim news, to assemble people for a movement of some kind, and to blast out a joyous sound in celebration of something wonderful. The instrument itself is the horn of a male lamb, and it serves as a metaphor for Yahweh's influence in our lives. Therefore, it should not be surprising that Yahshua Isaiah's presentation of Teruah uh, in the years preceding Yahweh's return coincide by emphasizing the importance of raising our voices like trumpeting a shofar to call Yisrael home. In the latter chapters of uh, Yashaya Isaiah, he speaks of a voice, a coal, a, a very loud voice that serves as a Bashar, herald, to proclaim the message that Yah's people need to hear so that they attend um, the family reunion of Yom Kippurim. So Teruah is as much about providing a warning as it is about rejoicing, and that is because Teruah produces a great divide. On this day, the covenant's children will be called, gathered together, and lovingly removed from the world by Yahweh. So that their story will not, or so that their really lives will not have to endure the time of Jacob's troubles, uh, and that is cause for rejoicing. For those mm-hmm. left behind, let's signal the warning, encouraging them to rectify their relationship with God now, before it is too late. When the first Israelites heard the title Teruah, they would have conjured up the image of Yahweh's priest raising this ram's horn, this shofar, and blowing a blast 
to signal that which was essential for them to know. There they blew into the instrument symbolized our souls, as the Hebrew word for soul, nephesh, also means to breathe. On this day, some souls will be jubilant with Yahweh in heaven, while others will be warned, now knowing that they missed the ride of a lifetime. The wind instrument was developed out of a ram's horn. A ram is symbolic of God leading and protecting his flock, a role of shepherds in our lives, and that of the Passover lamb. It is also symbolic of Dode, the Messiah, and God's Son. We spoke briefly about Kodesh. It is from Kadash, which uh, is a uh, different vocalization of the same consonants. Kadash means to be prepared by being set apart, being consecrated, and then becoming dedicated. Consecration conveys the idea of dedicating, devoting uh, something or someone to a godly purpose. And there's nothing more important to God than being set apart unto him and to be set apart from the world of religion and politics, the most pervasive of, uh, of man's uh, plagues. So today, reciting the word of God is the best way to observe each of the Mikre, <clears throat> but particularly this one. Our observance should recognize that the first four Moed, or Moedim, were uh, already fulfilled uh, by Dode, the Messiah, the Zeroa, uh, the Son of God, in uh, the 80th Yobel, 4, 000, um, year 4000 Yah, which was in 33 CE. On Teruah, our celebration focuses on sharing that there will be Two more promises to be fulfilled. Those who understand them, who trust and rely upon them, will enjoy the benefits attributed to each. One is reconciliation. The other is the opportunity to camp out with uh, God. According to Yahweh, his mikre have not been repealed. Um, now that's a problem for both Judaism and Christianity. They were not just for Jews either. We listen and mm -hmm. attend, or we die. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's listen again. I am Yahweh, your God. Then Yahweh spoke to Moshe to say, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first uh, day of this time of renewal, there exists on your behalf a Shabbaton, an empowering and enriching expression of everything associated with the promise of seven. A zikaron, a commemoration of an empowering and enriching inheritance, which is important to recall and remember. Teruah, an opportunity to raise one's voice and make a racket, shouting out a warning while singing for joy, which is set apart and special. An invitation to be called out and meet, to recite and to welcome. This is Kara Leviticus 23:24. Now God has more to say, so if we continue to listen to him, uh, in the next statement he uh, proclaims, refrain from engaging in or attempting to produce any part of the service of the Malaka, who should be the maternal counselor. Appear before 
approaching the feminine manifestation of the fiery light, Isha, to approach Yahweh. We first encountered the concept of a malaka um, when we were introduced to Chag Matzah. It was also the first mention of a Shabbaton, and the announcement reads, And Yahweh spoke these words to Moshe in order to promise and say, Under the auspices of free will, convey the word of God on behalf of the children of Yisrael, and say to them, The Moedim appointed meeting times of Yahweh are to show the way to the benefits of the relationship. You are continually and genuinely invited to attend them as set-apart mikre, invitations to be called out and meet. These are moedim, uh, eternal witnesses to my appointed meeting times. For six days, bleaching white and dressing in fine linen, whitewashing uh, the darkness of mankind, shish yomem, she shall exist continually engaging in the service of the spiritual counselor, doing the work of God's nature, Malaka. And then on the seventh day, the time of the promise will be satisfied and abundantly fulfilled. There will be a Shabbat observance, a seventh day to celebrate with God, a Shabbaton to consider everything associated with the promise, of being empowered and enriched by the set-apart nature, the separating and special aspects of the invitation to be called out and meet, of this welcoming summons to read and recite, to pronounce and proclaim the name. The maternal spiritual messenger and heavenly representative works doing everything such that you do not have to do anything it is a Shabbat observance, a seventh day to approach Yahweh and to live and abide throughout time. Kara called out 23.3. Now, there's so many people that, that struggle with uh, the, the book of, of uh, Kara, um, misnamed uh, Leviticus. It's the third of the three books that comprise the Torah. Mm-hmm. And yet... I think there's more instruction here, more guidance in the book of Kara than any place else. You know, when you're when you're reading Barashith, which is exceedingly, you know, insightful, Barashith is all about why I created the heavens and the earth and how and why I established this covenant and how you can go about being part of it and what the benefits of the covenant would be and then how that covenant was manifest uh, through um, uh, Noach uh, initially, then through Abraham and Sarah, then uh, via Yishak, and then Jacob, and through Jacob's sons. Uh, marvelous story of, of God fulfilling his intent. And then as we get into to, um, uh, Shemot, names, uh, Exodus, we find Yahweh um, introducing himself to Moshe. Um, saying that his name is Yahweh, that's the only name that he wishes to be known and remembered by. And he asked Moshe to go back with him uh, to withdraw the children of Yisrael from Mitzrayim, the crucibles of human oppression. 
And then we have the whole story of the Exodus and of um, of Jews having a very difficult time being appreciative of what God has done for them. Uh, then this is followed by an explanation of the provisions that Yahweh uh, has made available for his people to resolve their relationship with him. Um, uh, the most amazing part of this whole story is that um, God's firstborn, his Bacor, uh the very son of God, uh, Dode, his beloved, his chosen one, the Masayak Messiah, uh, who served as uh, the Zoroah, which is the sacrificial lamb, therefore becoming our savior, uh, volunteered in his second of three lives to fulfill Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, uh leading to Shabuah. Uh, and his corporeal body um, uh, served as the Passover lamb. Uh, and it died so that our lives, our um, relationship with God, would not suffer that same fate. Uh, it served as the the same purpose as Pesach and Mitzrayim, that for those who celebrate it the correct way, uh, uh, they are passed over for uh, for death. And of course, it was all about firstborn sons, and that's why Dode was the one who fulfilled it. But the the day that is particularly interesting is the one that Jews just ignore entirely, uh, which is matzah. And mm -hmm. I've always, I had until fairly recently struggled with how matzah perfected us. Because the second condition of the covenant is to be perfected. And you say, okay, how does that work? Well, in the case of matzah, Dode volunteered and Yahweh supported his choice to have his soul after Pesach um, be laden with the guilt of his people. So he took all of the guilt of the covenant family and of Yehudim and Yisrael and he carried it with him into Sheol where he spent the Moed Mekre of Matzah. And by taking our guilt into Sheol, which is separation from Yah, and leaving it there, it resulted in us being perfect. There is no evidence against us. And it's a marvelous solution wow. because what it, <laughs> it says is that, that we are not changed by matzah. Uh, that what actually happens is that all of the things that make us unique, our persona, our character, our aptitudes, our attitude, all of those things remain. It's just that the, the stigma and the stain, the guilt of missing the way through religion and politics is removed. So all the gunk is gone, and all that remains is the fullness of our persona. And it's a marvelous uh, insight into this, is to look at Dote himself. Dote was brilliant in what he had to, uh, to convey to us. He was courageous in how he defended his people. But the next moment, he could be a dunderhead. And yet, God said he was right and loved him. 
Why? Because this exceedingly capable and passionate guy benefited from what he himself did, where all of his guilt was removed. So what God got to enjoy was this rascal of a man who was very, very full of himself. As we will all be, the fullness of our persona continues. It is unchanged. It's just that our guilt is removed. Now, the brilliance of this is explained through the concept of eternity. If God transformed us so that we were like him through matzah, which removes our guilt, then we would all be clones. What would be interesting about spending eternity if you're talking to yourself? If everything that you think, you say, you do is the same as everybody else, difference would it make if there was one person in the family or 10,000 people in the family, if they were all changed so that they were the same? But God recognizes eternity is a long time. There's a lot to do together. The only way that it's going to be interesting is if we get to go into it with the fullness of ourselves. Passions, inclinations, uh, attitudes, aptitudes, character. It all goes with us. It's just that the gunk is all gone because Dode took it past, present, and future and deposited it in Sheol. It is a, it's such a marvelous thing, the, the way that he went about perfecting us. Uh, and once you come to embrace it, you say, why isn't the world celebrating this? It's genius. And then, of course, God's firstborn, Bacor. Now, of course, religious Jews said that you, know, you can't be the son of God because they're different species. Then why did God call him <laughs> son? And why did God say he was uh, my firstborn? Uh, go figure. Anyway, uh, the third Moed Mikre is called Bacorum, which is the plural of Bacor. Bacor means firstborn, so it's firstborn children. And so Dode became right. Yahweh's firstborn through this process where he became immortal and was perfected in this way with his guilt gone, and yet all of the other things of Dode would remain as he was then brought into Yahweh's covenant family, becoming the exemplar of the covenant. And then Shabuah, uh, of course, follows. It is the promise of the Shabbat, where Yahweh also violates the Jewish interpretation of the day because he en- enriches <laughs> us on Shabuah. He, uh, he empowers us on Shabuah, uh, emancipates us on Shabuah, enlightens us on Shabuah. Uh, we um, grow in every conceivable way, actually going from uh, mortal and decaying beings trapped in, uh, mm-hmm. in time and 3D to being mm-hmm. liberated. Uh, as spiritual or inner-based uh, beings, as light uh, in seven dimensions. Uh, that is the purpose of, of Shabua. And once we have benefited uh, as covenant members uh, through these first four Mikre, which Dode fulfilled in year 4000 Yah, then we are prepared to do what we're doing on this program. Mm-hmm. Celebrate Teruah to explain to God's people that this is not Rosh Hashanah. And that Rosh Hashanah is doing nothing but pissing God off. 
Might as well be flipping them. And Jews are miserable celebrating it. They don't even enjoy it. No. Uh, It's part of their high holy days. And to be holy in Judaism is to be oppressed. To uh, uh, That's why they wear the black mourning suits. It's a miserable, unhappy life in uh, in religions. Why uh, the Herodim today are so uh, eager to put other people down because they have miserable, unfulfilling lives. Uh, and a good thing for us, they, uh, they aren't educated enough and not given sufficient freedom even to read what we have written or listen to what we have to say on <laughs> Yahweh's behalf. So that uh, will keep yeah. the riffraff uh, away. Uh, but Teruah's primary purpose is not just to herald Dode and his fulfillment of these events and explain what the Moed Mikre represent, as I just uh, have, uh, Mm -hmm. it is to warn Jews that their final opportunity at reconciliation with God, and they are estranged from God. It shouldn't take a genius to figure that out. The last 3,000 years has not been much fun for Jews. Uh, There are very few highlights and a lot of miserable outcomes because the attitude of Jews relative to God has not changed since the first day of the Exodus. In right. fact, it hasn't changed since Moshe tried to save them from the uh, the Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. it has not changed. Read the waters of Mirabah if you want to understand how miserable these people were. Look at them when before Yahweh parted the uh, the sea and how they were complaining and wanted to go back. Uh, no matter what time you look at them during the exodus for 40 years, Mm -hmm. they're irascible. And God's saying, I'm going to give you one last chance to figure this out. And so I'm going to empower these individuals to tell you the truth so that some of you capitalize and listen and that a remnant of Israel will join us on, uh, on Yom Kippurim when father and son return. Uh, but Yom Kippur is the day of reconciliation. Dode himself is going to go into uh, the, uh, uh, the newly restored house of Yahweh. I think it'll be built with uh, light. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant will be restored uh, there. And he is going to uh, anoint the Kippurath, which is the mercy seat, Purim, based on the same uh, Hebrew word. Uh, He's going to anoint the uh, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, uh, and in so doing, he's going to have fulfill and honor the Torah's instructions on how you reconcile uh, a disparate relationship. This will enable the children of Israel to be reunified with one another. Uh, and, and that's a big deal because the Jews have been uh, at war with each other. Uh, really, since the uh, the end of uh, of Solomon's uh, reign, uh, it's probably as bad today as it has ever been, um, with the progressives uh, um, uh, rallying in the hundreds of thousands against uh, uh, the coalition popularly elected government and uh, and also judicial reform, which is necessary for Israel's survival, uh, and also the uh, the ridiculous religious coalition that Netanyahu has tried to cobble together and has done so exceedingly poorly. 
which has uh, caused this coalition to capitulate to ridiculous needs uh, and desires of uh, the Haredi. Uh, and, and Israel knows. I mean, I think it's 75 or almost 80 percent of Israelis know that the special treatment um, that is given to the Haredi is dead wrong and that it is exceedingly destructive and unfair to the uh, the people. And this puts Israel in an exceedingly bad position this time last week. I uh, I shared my insights into MBS uh, and the United States mm-hmm. sponsored um, normalization agreement between Saudi Arabia that Netanyahu is so uh, enamored with um, and uh, and Israel. And what I said is that it will be the first step uh, in um, in the time of Jacob's troubles, uh, that it will, in fact, be Israel's uh, Neville Chamberlain moment. Uh, and this week, um, uh, Bilkin uh, acknowledged that the Saudi Arabia's Arabians are, which means MBS, uh, will demand that there is a uh, um, a normalization agreement, a, a two-state solution, if you will, agreement uh, with the Fakistinians for normalization with, uh, with Saudi Arabia. And to do so will be the death knell of Israel. Uh, Israel, uh, apart from Yahweh's uh, intervention over the, uh, the next 10 years, Israel could not survive uh, that decision. This is uh, Oslo on steroids. Uh, it'll be the worst decision Israel ever made. But that's nonetheless where we are. Uh, the seventh and final uh, uh, celebration on Yahweh's calendar is Sukkah. Uh, it means to camp out with Yah. It's not so much about um, building uh, huts or tents or booths. Um, it is about coming full circle. Uh, Yahweh explained that his idea of a good time was camping out with uh, Adam uh, uh, and later with Adam and mm-hmm. Chawa and the uh, Gan Eden, Garden of Great Joy. Uh, it was a place to celebrate life, literally. Um, and he, this is what Yahweh wanted to accomplish with humankind. Uh, unfortunately, Adam and Chawa rebelled against him. And uh, we've gone through these past 6,000 years as a result. But Sukkah is telling us that we're going back to the conditions celebrated in the garden. Uh, where this time the garden is going to be really, really big. It's going to start off uh, the entire size of Israel and then be expanded to coincide with the entire earth. And uh, and before it's done, uh, the the Eden light celebration yeah, is going to be yeah. the whole universe. And then when God's uh, completely done at the end of a thousand year celebration, uh, this is going to be just the starter universe. Uh, and guidelines for the really, really big universe that uh, he is going to yeah. uh, to create. Okay, and you know, we might say, well, you know, this universe has you know, got hundreds of billions of galaxies <laughs> with hundreds of billions Just of wait. stars. Why be so quick about uh, uh, creating a new one and getting rid of this one uh, after a thousand years? Well, keep in mind, during this thousand years, uh, time will be for us as it is for Yah. It will simply exist. So that thousand years is is uh, forever, or it's a blink of an eye, depending on how you want to enjoy it. Uh, and so you know you're you're not being shortchanged in that regard. 
uh, and there will be plenty to see, and you'll have plenty of time to go off and see it because you can go from one point to another in the universe in no time whatsoever. Yes, certainly. The, the, the whole beauty of, of, of being a seven-dimensional uh, being. And also keep in mind that as a seven-dimensional being, which God is, the universe is six dimensions. For a seven-dimensional being to create a six-dimension universe uh, that is as robust as what Yahweh created, although it takes a lot of, of calculating, it's the ultimate uh, mathematical equation, uh, and, a, and a, an enormous amount of intelligence to design to do it, in terms of the actual energy required by a seven-dimensional being to create a six-dimensional universe, it's no more complicated uh, than an artist uh, uh, creating a painting. Now, an artist, as, as Kirk knows, creating a painting, you have to have uh, intellect and skill. Uh, you, uh, you have to have effort. You have to know what you're going to do. But there is nothing of you, Kirk, that is no. lost when you create a painting. No. Right. A little right. time, a little thought, a little energy, a little inspiration. I did actually get better at it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, but you'll, and you're better at the second one than you uh, were at the first. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, why we're going to have a, a second universe and a great expansion of, uh, of the world. That is the message of Teruah. That is wow. why we are, uh, are uh, celebrating it. Now, what I'd like to do now is to talk a little bit about uh, what um, <coughs> Yahweh had to say about the harvest <coughs> that is uh, associated with Teruah. And we find uh, two references, uh, well, actually there's a number, but two of my favorite references to this are in uh, Yeshaya, uh, uh, I think he's the greatest of the prophets. I, I know Yahweh says that Moshe is the greatest of the prophets. Yahweh, of course, is right. But uh, Moshe was great uh, for lots of reasons. His character was exemplary. Um, and he was involved doing with Yahweh uh, both of the things that Yahweh is most interested in, which is liberating his people from control of human institutions, and second, teaching and guiding them through his uh, Torah. So, you know, that puts Moshe in a unique situation. But just as a pure mm-hmm. prophet, just tell us what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. It just don't get better than Yahshua. Yeah. He is the prophet. Yeah. yeah, he is the prophet's prophet. And so this <laughs> is from the 17th chapter. Uh, I, I know I'm... I'm I am enamored with uh, Yasha. I, like I, I, I agree. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the guy. Uh, I feel like I'm a kindred spirit to uh, to Yasha. Not not in the sense I'm not a prophet. He was a prophet, <clears throat> but boy, he has a lot to say about what we're doing, and he's enthusiastic. Yeah, he about likes what we're doing. you. He does. Yeah, he likes yeah, you. He does. <laughs> it is a he, mutual. He said, work a little harder, won't you? Yeah, well, work a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you another another uh, uh, plug here. Work a little harder. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're doing 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Is uh, that we are we are rowing <laughs> as hard as as we we can row. Uh, actually, it's a it's a wonderful uh, job, and it is and it's exciting to see all yeah. the ways that Yashia goes about telling people uh, that uh, this is going to happen because it's it's essential. If you want to talk about prophecy, prophecy primarily exists for two reasons. One is to validate 
that the words that we are sharing and are reading and observing, listening to, uh, were inspired by Yahweh because he alone can be correct 100% of the time uh, with exacting prophecies that he had committed to writing centuries before they played out in human history. So it proves God's existence and that he inspired these words. Also, God is, has presented this entire story to bring us back to uh, the conditions experienced in Eden through the Moed Mikre to fulfill the benefits of the breath through the Moed over this span of 7,000 years. And so this is the story that is so essential is that for there to be a family reunion, for what Yahweh has intended with humankind and particularly his people to prevail, there has to be somebody awakening them after 3,000 years of tripping over their own feet. Jews have been their own worst enemy for 3,000 years. And if God didn't provide a different approach to them at, at this time, nothing would change. There would be no family reunion. Kippurim would not be celebrated, and, uh, and uh, creation would have been for naught. So there's a lot writing on this, which is why Yahshua mm-hmm. has so much to say about it. And it will actually come to pass in that day. So he says, you can trust me on this. This is going to happen. Wahaya, Bahayom, in that day, that the size of Jacob, which is Yisrael, shall be decreased to the point of no longer being sustainable or viable. This is precisely what MBS is trying to achieve in normalization with Israel. This is what the Oslo Accords were all about. This is what the two-state solution is trying to obtain, to thin Israel at the waist. So she's only about 10 miles wide where 70% of the population resides so that the nation is indefensible. It isn't sustainable or viable. This is precisely what's going to happen, and Yasha predicted it 2,000 700 years ago. Mm-hmm. And Israelites, Israelis, are so full of themselves and so uh, estranged from Yahweh, so unwilling to listen to what he has to say, are going to go along and allow this to happen. So we're going to share it because Yahweh wants a, a remnant of his people to recognize this and to be against it. So it will actually come to pass in that day that the size of Jacob of Israel shall be decreased to the point of no longer being sustainable or viable. The fattest, best protected, and most important place of his body, Bashar, shall be leaned. It shall be like the gathering in and receiving of a harvest of standing grain. I will continue here just in a moment. But when you say that the fattest, best protected, and most important place, this would be the the midsection between Tel Aviv and uh, Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. uh, right in the core of Israel, which is what will happen 
when uh, you've got Gaza on one side and uh, the Pakistanian uh, uh, state on the uh, the other, uh, you've got this this narrow little corridor. Moscow North too. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. going to uh, be left, and it will be indefensible with uh, Hezbollah firing missiles from the north and the uh, Hamas firing missiles from uh, the uh, the west mm-hmm. and the PLO and uh, uh, Islamic Jihad and at all of the Pakistanians firing uh, rockets and missiles from the east, there will be no place to hide. There will be no capability to defend Israel from the onslaught initially of rockets where there will be hundreds of thousands of them overwhelming uh, Israel's defenses uh, and the Iron Dome. But then Islamic jihadists, uh, and Islamic uh, militaries uh, with the fact that Saudi Arabia is by far America's largest customer of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, right. And uh, the Iranians have finally become good at something uh, besides oppressing their people, uh, and that is uh, making weapon systems uh, that's yeah. all going to be brought to bear against Israel, uh, and she will be indefensible. Uh, and the world won't care. It's, it's interesting in this particular normalization deal, the United States has to commit that it will use its military and our troops to defend Saudi Arabia if attacked. We don't have that kind That's of an disgusting. agreement. That is disgusting. Oh, it's yeah. just disgusting. But by the way, we've already done it. What do you think the first Iraq I know, war was? I know. It's a storm I know. that was to defend Saudi Arabia uh, with American lives. So then from this this realization, this is what the two-state solution is going to do, going to make Israel uh, indefensible where at the waist of his body is going to be leaned. Uh, the transition is immediately is immediate. Then it shall be. Then it will be higher, like, similar to the gathering in and receiving the asaf, the joining together and bringing in, the collecting and then assembling before restoring by way of an ingathering and withdrawing through guidance, a harvest, a katsir, of standing grain, of kamah, which would represent the children of the covenant. And his zaroah, his protective shepherd, sacrificial lamb, and the one who sows the seeds which take root and grow, creating new life, preparing for a harvest, will reap the harvest. There are, by the way, three Zoroah, and we can talk about which one he is referring to here. And this harvest will be of first fruits, of the heads or kernel of grain and the branches which are flowing and growing. Then it shall be as one would conduct a gleaning, a lakat, a rapid gathering up of what's left, of first fruits. In the broad valley of Raphaim, Raphaim is uh, the dead and departed without material substance, the souls of the deceased along the broad and open way. It's from Rafa, defeats which uh, uh, could uh, have been healed um, uh, uh, by a physician, uh, that which could be restored. Uh, to bring the impaired back to uh, to uh, help. 
Then he says, and in him there will be a remnant who will be spared and survive. Gleanings going around at the right time of year. An olive tree, two or three ripe olives on the top branch, four or five on its fruitful branches which have been cut away. Prophetically declares Yahweh, God of Israel. That was all Yasha Isaiah 17.6. Well, 17.5 and 17.6. There's a lot. There is a lot to unpack here. Okay, so what we have is uh, we have uh, the timing of this event and and the preceding statements in Yahshua 17 were the uh, destruction of Damascus, where Damascus uh, becomes Mm -hmm. a heap of of twisted ruins. Crumbles, yeah. Yeah, yeah, crumbles, and and, uh, the the Muslims uh, fighting for... uh, uh, fundamentalist, you know, which fundamentalist is, is going to uh, hold sway, whether it's the uh, the Iranian-inspired Hezbollah, the Shiites, or the Saudi Arabian uh, uh, Sunni, um, which one is going to uh, uh, control uh, Syria, um, and between the belligerents, you know, because right now we have Russia uh, defending Damascus in the United States eager to uh, destroy Damascus, uh, it is the, uh, is the catalyst for all of what is going to occur here. So uh, when Damascus falls, becomes a twisted heap of ruins, um, then the world uh, is going to uh, go to the mat, if you will, to make certain uh, that what it considers to be the catalyst for Islamic terrorism, which are the Fakistinians, that they will be, these terrorists will be appeased. And they're going to appease them by giving them large swaths of Israel. Uh, the nation's going to be thinned. Uh, the two state solution is going to leave Israel indefensible. And then he says, <clears throat> it's at that time that this gathering, this harvest, this receiving of a katsir, of a reaping, will occur. And it's going to bring in the standing grain, that which is upright with the ability to stand and rise from whom to affirm, to validate, to establish. Then he says that there is an association here with the Zoroa. Zoroa is, to my thinking, the least understood and most important title throughout the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. It is used throughout the Torah to speak of the sacrificial lamb. It is used in the 89th Mizmor and other places to identify Dod specifically as the sacrificial lamb, as well as the strong arm of God. There are three individuals that are identified as Zeroah, two mighty. Mm -hmm. One, as I refer to, is the little Z. Uh, the most important of these is clearly Dode, who serves as the Zeroah sacrificial lamb. But in this particular case, while Dode is returning at this time, he is not returning as the sacrificial lamb. You could ascribe this to Dode, though, and say he's returning 
as the strong arm of God, which is an, uh, another aspect of Zeroah. Zeroah can also be a protective shepherd, which is the mm-hmm. role that Moshe played. Yashaya tells us that Moshe was also a Zeroah. So Moshe is not the one who is returning. He did his thing. He did it better than anyone in human history, but he has been given his gold watch and his magic carpet. Uh, <laughs> guy earned it. He's, uh, he's going to be with us in eternity, but he plays no role in these events. This aspect, yeah. And Dode is not, well, Dode's sacrifice in fulfilling Pesach, Matz, and Bakotam as the Zoroa makes the Teruah harvest possible. Um, Dode isn't the key player at this time. No. Dode is the key player on Kaporam when he Kaporum. returns. This is Teruah. This is not Kaporam. This is Teruah, not Pesach, Matzah, and Bakotam. Therefore, it's not Moshe, and it's not Dode. There's only three of these guys. Yeah. And the other one is the little Z. And what you get to here is you realize that Zeroah is uh, based upon Zerah. Zerah means to sow seeds which take root and produce new life, leading to a productive harvest. Purpose of Teruah is to sow these seeds. The reason that there is a third Zeroah, this little Z, is that his job as Dodes Bashar, as Yahweh's uh, Choter, as the uh, Nakri, observant foreigner, it's his job to sow these seeds so that they take root and they grow and produce new life so that there is a satisfactory harvest come Kaporum. So this Zeroa has got to be the little Z. Mm-hmm. He is the Bashar. He is the um, Nakri, the Nakar, uh, the Choder, the final witness. And so the one who sows the seeds will reap this harvest. Well, that's the entire purpose. That's what we're about. That's why Yashaya has says so much about what we're doing here. Uh, if God didn't intervene in this way and make it possible by applying his seven spirits to this individual, uh, then his people would not change. Oh, they would not accept Yahweh's name, Dodes as the Messiah and the Zoroah, the sacrificial lamb, they wouldn't accept the fulfillment of the Moed Mikre. They wouldn't accept the fact that Yahweh is returning with the Messiah Dode. They wouldn't accept there are terms and conditions of the covenant that are intertwined with these Moed Mikre. And they would not be there, as Zachariah says, uh, looking up, to Yahweh, accompanied by the one that we pierced, Dode. 
And so that's what we're doing here. We are preparing, cultivating these seeds, which are the words of Yahweh and his prophets, including Dode, so that there is a harvest to reap of first fruits, of kernels of grain, which are saved souls, which are growing. Then it shall be as one would conduct a gleaning, harvest, gleaning, uh, Seeds which are sown that take root, first fruits, katsar, harvest, uh, receiving and end gathering. God's making it pretty clear. That's what we're doing here. Then it shall be as one would conduct a gleaning, which is a rapid gathering up as part of a fairly small, uh, insignificant, if you will, sparse, in gathering a harvest. They're not going to be a lot. Count the numbers of people that will capitalize on this Tarua harvest and, uh, and single-digit thousands. Maybe 7,000. Maybe. Of first fruits. And he says in the valley of Raphaim. What does he mean by that? It means... These people are coming out of a world which is dead and dying, of souls that are zombies, dead men walking. Uh, they're coming out of a place of the broad and open way of religion and politics. They're coming from the place where people are feeble and falter. Then it says, and in him, uh, this is likely that he is still talking about this uh, little Z, the, uh, the last of the Zeroah, and in him there will be a remnant who will be spared and survive. Yeah. That is, listen, uh, there was a time where we were devoted to this, um, but doing it as Yada, as a, a gnome de plume, and totally anonymous, and having great fun with what we're learning and sharing what we're learning. And then all of a sudden you start reading all of these prophecies, hundreds of them, that say, <laughs> no, God needs you to do this particular task and this mission. And I've explained to you how I'm preparing you to do it. And I'm going to tell you about the results. And then at that point you say, well, he's really serious. We are yeah. responsible for awakening Israel, for awakening Yehudim, so that they're here for this harvest. They're receptive to Yahweh. They're receptive to what Dode represents. They're receptive to the Mikre as Yahweh intended them. That they're listening to his message. And so in him, there will be a remnant that will be spared and survive. This is the good news. This is why we do this. That's why those, the whole team works to get those books on the shelf. That's why the yadaya.com website is so robust. It's why we do these shows. It's why we have the social media outreach. It's all done so that there will be a remnant who will be spared and survive. It's a gleaning, the smaller harvest. 
as in going around at the right time of year. What is the right time of year? It's the first day of the seventh month when you're talking about this one. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. As in going around at the right time of the year. Then he says, you can perceive this as an olive tree. Now, that conveys a number of things. And we only have two minutes left of the broadcast time of our program. We're going to go through this particular prophecy. So we'll continue on uh, while it's con- well, we're continuing recording while those who have dialed in are listening on their phones can still hear us, but everyone who listens to the archives will have the full extent of this message. Olive tree is uh, presented for several reasons. One is the most solidly rooted tree in Israel, not easily blown by the winds. It's the longest lived tree in Israel, speaking of eternal life. It produces the olive, which is the source of olive oil, which is not only used for anointing, but produced the purest light during the night in the ancient world. And it's also an olive tree because when Zachariah presents the two witnesses, he talks about these, uh, that in that case, there's two trees. In this case, he's, he's speaking of one of the two because the two branches of those two trees become the two witnesses but the second witness hasn't arrived yet. Elia. Now, of this olive tree, two or three ripe olives on the top branch. When he's talking about two or three ripe olives on the top branch, he's not saying it's just going to be two or three people. It is likely represents two or three thousand people, just like a day represents mm-hmm. a thousand years. So on the top branch... Two or three people. Now, the top branch from Yahweh's point of view would be the branch that represents Dote. The Choder, for example, is a secondary branch. So from the top branch would represent uh, Dote. We're talking about Yehudim. Two or three thousand. So it's two or three ripe olives on the top four or five on its fruitful branches, which have been cut away. Now, since this is a remnant of Yisrael, the branches which have been cut away would be Yisraelites. They would be the ten tribes that were cut away during the Assyrian um, time. Now, it's also possible to look at them as those who are separate from uh, uh, Yisrael are Yehuda, and therefore these four or five could also be Goyim, because Yahweh was very clear that the role of his Nakri, observant foreigner, and his, his Choder is to speak primarily to Yisrael, but secondarily to Goyim. And so the four or five could well be uh, uh, Goyim that will be joining Yehudim, two or three thousand Yehudim, four or five thousand Goyim, that will be part of this harvest on its fruitful branches which have been cut away. Prophetically declares Yahweh. So now we know the timing when this is going to occur. Mm -hmm. We know how many. We know the nature of the harvest. We know its association with uh, Teruah. 
Um, God has given us a lot of information here to process. Now, he did not specifically tell us the year, but if you look at the prophecies that Gabriel, uh, who is Dode, revealed to Daniel, uh, this would be um, sometime in 2029, because in 2030, Elia and um, the second witness, Yada, um, arrive in Jerusalem two weeks after the incarnation of Hasatan uh, arrives as a peacemaker uh, who is uh, intent on destroying Israel because uh, while Elia and Yada will be speaking on Yahweh's behalf, the, the human incarnation of Satan um, is there to forestall what this predicts. This predicts that there will be a remnant of God's people that can be harvested. Mm-hmm. And what Hasatan has to do to prevail is to keep that remnant from yep. looking up to Yah as Zechariah uh, 10 specifies where they look up to Yahweh uh, and, uh, and cry our eyes out, uh, recognizing that all we have done as a people to neglect him over over uh, the thousands of years and neglect what his son has done from us. There'll be tears of joy, but nonetheless, it's going to be an exceedingly emotional moment. Satan mm-hmm. prevails if nobody's there. We prevail if there's a remnant there. Fortunately, God has told us the outcome. There will be a remnant. So that is what we're, uh, what we're working towards. That's what we're calling God's... Uh, people towards. And what's interesting in this particular harvest, so we know that this harvest takes place when Israel is thinned at the waist. Dode tells us that when Israel is, uh, this happens to Israel, uh, that uh, it's immediately thereafter that the time of Jacob's troubles uh, comes. Uh, we can put together the timeline. Uh, the living incarnation of, uh, of Hasatan is going to enter Jerusalem on the first of Abib. Uh, 2030, two weeks later, on the 14th of Abib, Passover, is when uh, Elia and Yada arrive as the final two witnesses. And uh, the next three and a half years is miserable. Uh, The world over, but particularly in Yisrael. And we're going to do our level best to to debate uh, the losers and to awaken the winners of this uh, remnant who will uh, be there when uh, Yahweh returns. So Satan will, this is his last hurrah. This is the only way he can prevail. And he's, you know, it's like Ezekiel. I think there's 25 ways to kill a Jew. Uh, is the, the first half of Ezekiel is 25 ways to kill a Jew. And then finally, <laughs> the second half of Ezekiel, he's going to build a, a temple complex that is so big it covers the entirety of uh, the grants to Yahuda buries the entire city of Jerusalem underneath. Nothing for God to come home to if he were to get his will to build that massive uh, temple. Uh, and it's essentially built on the, uh, to be a, a concentration camps with crematoria to, uh, to bury and kill uh, all surviving Jews. That's what he has to do to win. And we will prevent that from occurring. Uh, Yahweh will be pleased with the family reunion. Um, and that's what 
this is all about. All about. Now, there is a, just briefly, there is this other uh, very interesting um, uh, review in Yeshaya 57 of this Teruah harvest. It says, then those who are right, uh, Tezek, will vanish, disappearing, such that those who remain will not know where they have gone. And no one will give it any thought to pondering the implications. Loyal and devoted individuals will be harvested, gathered together, and taken away, while no one makes the connection to comprehend what has occurred. For indeed, away from the presence of the disastrous and calamitous, miserable suffering, such wickedness and wrongdoing, those who are correct will be taken away. This is the Teruah harvest. And then he will arrive, entering into and included among the reconciled, the tranquil, the prosperous, the safe and saved. And they will be spiritually allied within his restful environs, walking in a manner which is right, honest, fitting, and proper with her, her being the Malaka, um, the set-apart spirit. Now, since we're running out of time, I'll share just a couple of other thoughts. We switch, uh, move down to Yeshaya 57.11. Mm-hmm. What yeah. did you find? So God is asking uh, the, uh, the rest of, uh, of Israelites who didn't get with the program, who were still uh, estranged from him. He says, what did you find so troubling? That you were afraid of me. Such that you became so deceptive in so many ways, becoming proven liars, weaving your delusions on behalf of a false god, Hashem. You have not thought about these things, nor have you been inclined to be associated with me. And you have not mentioned me, because you don't even remember who I am. Have I been negated because I have been silent? Has it been so long that you do not respect me and are against me? Wow. That's hard to read, much less project. Yeah, I was saying that against the majority of his people. Then one will make an announcement. You should choose to build up and decide of your own free will to esteem, honor, and cherish this about face, turning around and observing the signs before the appearance of the way, choosing to take action and remove the obstacles and impediments which are stumbling blocks for the elevated path of my family. Yashiyah goes into great detail. I think it's the 40th chapter where he talks about this Bashar, this herald, uh, who is the voice that will be calling out to prepare the way for Yahweh's return. Prepare the people so they're aware of what they must do to capitalize on the benefits that Yahweh is offering and his son are offering through Kippurim so that they're part of that remnant. That's what's being spoken. And if anybody questions whether or not it's you, Yeshaya 55.5 seals the debate. 
this is the lone GUI who does this. Mm -hmm. uh, There are so many of these prophecies that Mm -hmm. it becomes undeniable that what we are doing is what Yahweh intended when I was recruited by him to do this specific mission 22 years ago on this very day. But it is really irrelevant that Yahweh recruited me to do this and then um, empowered the result with his seven ruach and even had Solomon at the single most important moment in Israel's life at the very dedication of the first home of Yahweh speak um, of the arrival of this Nacri in the, in, during the last days of this observant foreigner and, mm-hmm. and the importance of what he has to say. What's important here is that Yahweh recognizes that his people have not listened to him in 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been until quite recently with, as a result of what the Choder and Nacker are doing, Nacri are doing, there hasn't been a single Yehud willing to engage on behalf of God. And so God had to go a different route. And he had to do it in such a way that he'd be effective in garnering his people's attention. And since God has spent so much time, back in the time that he was actually speaking to his people through his prophets, to tell them, don't emulate the ways of the uh, of the Goy, that when he had no other option but to employ a Goy in this way because his own people were unwilling to act, he said, now, you better listen to him because this is your last chance. There are no more. You either listen to what he has to say and figure it out, or it's over. There are no more chances. So there's only one reason that there would be hundreds of these prophecies, all at this time, all for this reason, which is God wants a remnant of his people celebrating his return with his son on Yom Kippurim, that recognize what Dode did for them as the Zoroah, as their savior, in fulfilling each of the seven Moed Mikre. That is what God wants. That's what he's going to have. And that's why there are so many prophecies that speak specifically of what we're doing because God wants his people to listen. Happy Teruah. Happy Teruah indeed. And for us it will be Teruah tomorrow. Actually Teruah tomorrow. But it will be Teruah every day for the next 10 years. Just as it has been Teruah every day for the past 22. You know, just as Dode is the living embodiment uh, of the covenant, as it's Zeroah, as it's Passover lamb that made it possible, now you're listening to the living embodiment of Teruah. And fortunately now there is a whole family that is committed to helping Yah's people 
listen to what father and son had to say and what they had to do Mm -hmm. to be able to harvest a remnant of Israel. Thank you. So this is Tarilla, the uh, the day that Jews don't celebrate. And I think think now you have an an appreciation of why God said it was a Zacharon, a day to remember, why God said it was a Shabbaton, a day to celebrate their relationship, why he said it was Kodesh, why he called it a Mikra, a time to read and recite, to be welcomed, to be invited into God's company, to be called out of the world. Now you know why. That explains it. So the hope is that as more and more ears and minds are open among God's people, um, the majority living in uh, Israel and the United States, some uh, throughout uh, Europe and other places in the world, but, you know, um, some 85% of of Yehudim worldwide uh, live in those two places. So... Mm-hmm. We call you home. Uh, I'm getting noticed that uh, that we're being thanked for our program and that our program is is over. So I think we're still broadcasting, but uh, we are uh, um, our our episode has ended. So we wish you uh, all good night and a wonderful Teruah. I look forward to being with you this time this week. May Yah bless. Good night. Good night, Good night. Good night. Good night.